0: Yeah, it's okay to clap for the worship team. <laughs> and mostly Jesus. Yes, I'm sorry to disappoint. I am not Brandon. But hey, we're super excited that you guys came back. You braved our second indoor gathering. I'm curious, does anybody wish or miss meeting outdoors? Do we miss the garden? Wow, a couple. Hey, that's cool. They see's not too bad, though, right? Maybe. Maybe. Well, hey, tonight we're going to continue the series Brandon kicked off last week, uh, entitled Living Grace, as we walk through the book of First Peter. And when Brandon kind of sat me down and, like, first told me about this series and what it was going to be about, I got, like, really excited, uh, just because this series and the book of First Peter in particularly are just super relevant to us right now. Like in the book, Peter is writing to this audience of of these Christians who've been dispersed into all these different regions across um, Europe uh, because of intense persecution. And and these Christians are suffering, they're feeling isolated, they're lonely, um, they're just far from all the comforts of their home. And I can't help but to think that in this season of COVID, uh, no, we haven't been dispersed from our homes, that's a little severe, but maybe we're feeling isolated Maybe we feel a little lonesome and surely some of the comforts that we used to have before COVID have been stripped from us. And if we really were to kind of sum up this whole season, which is like stretched what seems like two years, it's just one word, suffering. Like it's been a suffering time for a lot of us. And that's why I think just the book of 1 Peter right now hits a little bit differently. And so I'm super excited uh, to pick off on where we, uh, where Brandon left off last week. And so if you remember, he read through the first passage and he spoke um, and taught us that Christians um, have this unique uh, hope that they have in Jesus, right? That Christians thrive even in difficult times because of the hope that they have in Jesus. That no matter what circumstance comes upon us on earth, we know that at some point it will end but that we have this imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance awaiting on us if we have put our hope in Jesus. It's kind of like the fourth quarter of school, right? So there's tw- the fourth quarter, like, there's still 25% of the school year like, and that whole chunk of it is filled with tests and like the culminating of your grade and it's just hard, it is. April seems to drag on but summer is just peeking out right on the corner, right? Except Peter teaches, that the, teaches us that this is the life for the Christian. Our life is like one big fourth quarter, except instead of tests and finals, it's things like COVID and suffering and loneliness. But just peeking over on the other side is an eternity with our maker. And so this is where we pick off today. Uh, but before we jump into the Bible, I want to ask you a question what's the most valuable thing that you guys have? Like, if there was a fire in your house tonight and you had to grab one thing, like that kind of valuable thing, what, what, what are you grabbing? Maybe it's a phone. I know some of you guys are obsessed with the phone. Maybe it's something that's been passed down from a relative. Uh, maybe it's like some sentimental item, like a, like a stuffed animal or a blanket from your childhood. But Whatever it is, like, like what would you grab? Think about that. See, when I was in high school, my most valuable thing was my signed Eric Berry Chiefs jersey. Oh, I was obsessed with it. See, I looked up to him, he was like my idol growing up. He was on my favorite football team, he played the same position as me, um, and he was like one of the best to do it. And he had an incredible story. You see, when I was in high school, he was at like the prime of his career when he got diagnosed with cancer. And so it was like this big whole deal. He had to like totally quit playing and he spent the next year of his life battling this disease. Well, it was miraculous and he made a miraculous recovery rather and he ended up coming back the next season, doing super awesome and becoming one of the best players to come back. And so the following off season, I had a chance to see him at a training camp that I went to. And so I fought off you know, a whole bunch of people with my jersey in hand trying to get it signed by him. And when he finally did it, I was super ecstatic and like I had it hung up on my wall like all through high school, all through college and would still do it today if it fit with our furniture but it does not. But think of something that you have um, and, and then ask yourself what would you do to protect it? Like what extent would you go to in order to continue to have it? Like would you pay a certain amount? Would you stop doing something or start doing something? Like, what's the most extreme thing that you would do in order to protect that most valuable item? Well, today in 1 Peter, Peter is going to teach us that in reality to the Christian, the most valuable thing we have is Jesus, most, and in particular, the blood of Jesus. And if you want to know why, you'll just have to keep paying attention. Sorry. But if you have your Bible, uh, flip to 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll start in verse 13. And kind of like how Brandon said last week, if you don't uh, bring your Bible, I really encourage you do. It just kind of helps having a physical copy in your hand uh, just to focus, but also just to uh, follow along with us. But Peter starts in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter, who again is writing to suffering and lonely Christians in exile, gives them really two exhortations or encouragements in this passage. He tells them to one, set your hope on heaven, and two, strive for holiness on earth. And when you think about it, like when he talks to suffering Christians, like these are two kind of interesting encouragements to give. Like the first one, you know, you get, like when you're suffering and when you're feeling lonely and sad, like you want to hear things like, hey, just look forward to the future. Like things are going to get better. Right? Like th- that makes sense. But then he says, strive for holiness. Like be holy. And that's like, that's not really what I want to hear. You know, I'm sad. Make me feel better. And I have to, you know, work harder. But in reality, what we're going to find out is that Peter, what Peter's calling us to is exactly what the will of God is for our lives. And so the main point that I want to convey to you guys tonight is that Christians are called to holiness because they have been ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. Christians are called to holiness because they have been ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. And so in verse 13, the first encouragement Peter gives is to set your hope on heaven. And he begins this passage by connecting the last one, the the one Brandon spoke on, to this one, right? He starts with this word, therefore. And whenever I read the word therefore in the Bible, I always, I circle it, and then I make a little arrow going up. Because I know that that word means everything above the word therefore is what he's talking about. And then I make a little arrow pointing to the right because everything that follows it is gonna refer to what's above. And that's what Peter's doing here. He's saying that, that basically uh, everything he just said above and is applying it to how Christians should live while they're in exile. He's saying that, look, while you guys are grinding out in the fourth quarter, set your mind fully on the inheritance you are going to receive from Jesus. He's saying, set your mind on heaven while you're suffering through your exile. But in order to set our minds on the grace that we uh, receive of heaven, Peter tells us that we ought to be doing two things, right? So there's two kind of prerequisites or things that we have to do in order to have our mind fully set. And the first thing he says is to prepare our minds for action. But how do we prepare our minds for action? Like when I think of that, I just kind of think of like squinting my eyes and like almost like, like kind of a grunting thing, right? Like what, what does that mean? And the King James Version, uh, they translate it as gird up the loins of your mind. It's a classic old phrase, old person phrase. But in Peter's day, day and age, all of the men basically wore robes, right? It's awesome, I wish that that was acceptable today. And in order, like when times of like battle came, they would take the robe and basically like fashion it into shorts, like they would tuck it up tuck it up into their belt which is called a gird and so basically their robe would go from shorts so that they'd be ready to you know like run and move ready for battle and that's what Peter's telling us to do in our minds like he's literally telling us to prepare our minds like do whatever we have because we're going to battle right it might not be a physical battle like the men in robes were but it's definitely a mental and especially a spiritual one Paul in 2 Corinthians says it a little bit differently. He tells us to take every thought captive, to figure out whether it's coming from God or whether it's coming from Satan. We must guard our minds with God's word in order to set our minds on Jesus and the hope that we have in him. Because it's easy for us to fall for the deceptions that Satan tells us, isn't it? Especially when we're in hard times and exile and suffering and loneliness. Maybe right now you're you're hearing the lie that COVID's never gonna end or that God's just not in control of it. Or maybe you're feeling that you're all alone and that nobody loves you or or that nobody's there to see you through. But all of those are deceptions from the evil one. And Peter is telling us to guard our minds from from it, to prepare us for that battle and to set our hope on Jesus. And the second thing he says to do is to be sober-minded. And this just kind of makes sense, right? Like if we truly want to uh, set our mind on something, we have to be clear-minded. Like our our mind can't be clouded with other things. And so by remaining sober-minded and prepared for action, equipped with God's word, we're able to set our minds fully on Jesus Christ and our future with him. And that's Peter's first encouragement to the lonely Christian. He's saying that it will get better your suffering won't last you just have to hope fully on the grace of Jesus and then he continues in that passage and the second encouragement we get is this strive for holiness on earth right and the second encouragement is the ultimate calling for all Christians today and he quotes here Leviticus 11:44 where God is speaking to the nation of Israel and he tells them you shall be holy because I am holy And this is significant because all throughout the book of Leviticus, we discover how vastly different we are from God, especially in terms of holiness. The book is essentially a book of laws. I don't know if you've ever tried to read it. It's very invigorating, but it's a book of laws for the nation of Israel to follow. But these laws were meant to set Israel apart from other nations, right? So if, if another nation were to look at Israel, they'd see them following these rules and they'd accredit that to who God is. So therefore, holiness is the way that sets us apart from the world in order, to re- in order for us to reflect God in all that we do. See, just as we were made in the image of God, we're also made to be holy, to reflect God to others. And this immediately kind of brings up two questions in our heads. One is, why would a Christian, especially a suffering Christian, be worried about being holy? And two, isn't, that impo- like, isn't it impossible to be holy like God? And these are two hugely important questions for us as Christians to ask ourselves. And so first, why does a Christian, especially a suffering Christian, need to be holy? And this just takes us back to the root of the gospel. Like I mentioned above, God is m- like made us to be holy. However, the gospel tells us that all have sinned and all have fallen short of God's glory and his holiness. And therefore, all of our sin has made us unholy. Yet the requirement for heaven is holiness. In Hebrews 12, 14, the author teaches that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Because God is holy and set apart, only things that are also holy and set apart can see him. And so this holiness is crucial to any human being because without it, there would be no hope for heaven. And that leads us to this next question. If holiness is the absence of sin, isn't that impossible for us to do? And then this is where the grace of the gospel comes in. If the first part was the truth of the gospel, this is the grace of it. In verses 17 through 19, Peter writes, and if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to one's deeds, which is telling us that God's gonna judge us for being holy or unholy, Peter continues saying, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited by your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You see, the good news of the gospel is that we are counted holy, because Jesus has made us holy in his death and his resurrection, right? Like, because God requires holiness, Jesus came, has taken our sin, and paid the price for it, so now that we can stand before God and be deemed holy through Jesus, and that's what that term ransom means here. It means to take us from the the futile ways from your forefathers means your old life to take us away from that and to be placed in this new life that Jesus gives we deserve death because of our sins but yet Jesus has solved that for us and given us life eternally with God And so in answering the question, isn't it impossible to be holy? The answer is yes, unless you have trusted fully in Jesus, who has the power to make us right with God. It's nothing that we have ever done or will ever do, but all of what he has already done for us. And this leaves us kind of with one final question to answer. If Jesus has made me holy or made that opportunity, why do I need to strive for holiness today on earth? Like, why is that important? And this goes back to the book of Leviticus, if you remember, God's intention for his people was to set them apart from unbelievers so that the unbelievers may look at Israel and immediately be pointed to who God is. And that's what Peter is calling us to hear. During your suffering, instead of throwing yourself a pity party or doing whatever you want, going back to your old ways, Peter's telling us, strive for holiness, Be compelled by Jesus's sacrifice and live for him in order to draw others to God yourself. See, if we stick with the school analogy that I mentioned earlier, this call to holiness is that even though the summer is close and you might have already mentally checked out of school, there's still a lot of work to do. You still have to study, you still have to do well in your tests, and you still have to get a good grade in school because that's what you're there for school in the first place. Holiness is hard, but it's, it's impossible without Christ. But because of Christ's sacrifice for us, we're compelled to live our time in the fourth quarter for him. Peter's two encouragements in this, in this passage bring hope to the suffering Christian. He calls them to look beyond their circumstance and to set our minds fully on the grace that we will receive through Jesus, to look beyond the summer even when the fourth quarter has just started. And to look to Jesus who suffered, who was oppressed, yet lived on earth without sin in order to impart his holiness to us. When Peter uh, calls Jesus a lamb without blemish or spot, he's referring to Isaiah 53, an Old Testament passage. And Isaiah says when he speaks of Jesus, he says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he not opened his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. The most precious thing to a Christian is the blood of Jesus. Remember when I said that earlier? I hope you have a better understanding of why that is. The blood of Jesus has ransomed us from our sin. It has saved us from our sin. The blood of Jesus has paid our debt to God and made us holy in his eyes. It has done something that we could never do apart from him and it compels us to strive for holiness during our time on earth while we wait for our future with him eternally. If you have never heard that before, there's no better time than now than to put your full hope into Jesus, to confess that yes, I am unholy, yes, I've sinned as we all have, but to trust fully that Jesus has paid that debt for us and that he has made us right with God so that we may be in heaven together with him forever. Though we may find ourselves in lonely times, though even now we might be suffering, though we may feel far from any comfort that we used to have and no sight of returning soon, the grace of Jesus is here for us now. Jesus is precious to us because he allows us to be counted wholly with God. He is precious because he is the only true human to ever walk on earth without sin. He's precious because he gave up everything, including his own life and precious blood so that we would be right with God. The season of COVID, it might give us grief. It may cause us to suffer. But Peter urges us to look to the one who has already suffered. Look to the one who has conquered the grave and who gives us the opportunity to defeat death with him and through him. And so therefore, despite your circumstances, set your mind on the grace of Jesus and strive for holiness throughout your time on earth. Christians strive for holiness because they have been ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for the truth of the gospel that you give us. God, that that we have rebelled against you in sin, that Lord, we have made ourselves unholy before you, but Lord, that you reached out your arm and sent Jesus to be our perfect sacrifice, to live the life that we could never live. Um, God, and to stand um, in our place, Lord, with all of our sins upon his shoulders. Lord, I'm, I'm thankful that he was willing and obedient to you, that he would take our sins upon the cross and to die for them once and for all so that we would no longer be burdened by sins, that we would no longer be burdened by the guilt that comes with it, but Lord, that we may stand free and open in your arms, Lord, right with you because of what Jesus has done for us. Lord, I just pray that um, for those who may have never heard that message before, that Lord, it would fall uh, on ears that hear. Lord, I pray that you would be with us through the rest of this COVID season um, and the rest of this season in 1 Peter. Um, Lord, I thank you that we're we're still gathering. And Lord, I pray that um, your name would be exalted. In your name we pray, amen.